Hi everybody, welcome back to lesson number two in this mini-series, Outsmart Obesity, Heart Disease and Cancer Events. Why do they pick heart disease and cancer events? They are the number one and number two causes of sickness, disease and death on a global basis. And obesity is, no, no pun intended, is such a big topic. There are literally billions of dollars poured into people who want to outsmart it, who want to get rid of that condition and that disease. So that's why I picked those two topics. We're here at lesson number two now, talking about a ticking time bomb that almost took his life. Inside this episode, I'm going to introduce to you somebody whose title is the Honorable Philip Dalladakis. He is the former Minister for Innovation and Digital Economy. He was a Trade and Investment and Small Business Minister, and he's also the former Executive and General Manager for Corporate Services of Australia Post. And for my overseas listeners, Australia Post is our national postal organisation or postal body. He's also the former Deputy Chief of Staff to the Federal Minister, that's our national government, Victoria is where he was the Minister for Innovation and the Digital Economy. Now, if those of you who don't live in Australia, you've never seen a map of our state, Victoria is our, one of our southern states, and that's, I think, our second largest state population-wise, about 26 million people in Australia. And that's where our guest today, the former minister, was a politician as, and looked after innovation in the digital economy. But he is also the Deputy Chief of Staff to the Federal Minister for Broadband, Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy. So he's very well credentialed in that area. His story is one of, this is how I would phrase it, it almost happened to him. As his cardiologist found out that when he was 45 years old, that he had a 95% blockage of a blood vessel inside his heart. And I'm going to share with you in this lesson, this lesson number two here of outsmart obesity, heart disease, and cancer events, I'm going to share with you his story and a doc, couple of doctors that go along with the, his story, which is I don't know, a narrative wrapped around his story and a new education framework that I invented after 37 years of teaching health and physical activity in Australian schools. It's a simple framework and a simple lesson that will drive down your clinical risk of a ticking time bomb. So what happened to the minister, the former minister, recent former minister for innovation and the digital economy here in Australia doesn't happen to you. Now, before I introduce you to Philip and share his story of his ticking time bomb, I'm going to show you exactly how his medical condition is related to over 36 million people worldwide and why it's a ticking time bomb. So here's how I'm going to do that. In order to set this up properly before we launch the interview with Philip, I'm going to give you six minutes from our special guest in this mini-series, Dr. Carl Levy from New Orleans in the USA, where he is, remember, he's the cardiologist that we met in episode number one or lesson number one here, and he's the author of the best-selling book, The Obesity Paradox, 
And he's not only a practicing cardiologist, an author of a best-selling book, he is also a practicing research cardiologist, which means he contributes to the field of research. And he also sits on a huge number of um, boards for medical research paper, medical research journals, not papers, but journals. He writes a lot of papers, but he also sits as the head of some of the medic, most prestige medical journals in the world. His credentials, we have a saying here in Australia, he's credentialed up the yin-yang, which means he really is a world-leading expert. So to set up the interview with Philip, the ticking time bomb and his story, which thank goodness it what it didn't happen to him. It almost happened to him related to cardio, a cardiovascular event that would have snatched his life away at 45 years of age. He's now 46. He'll tell you about that in the interview. In order to set it up, let's transition now. Pay attention in this six minutes really carefully because when I finish, I'm going to pinpoint a specific component of this six minutes and relate it directly into the interview that Philip gave me graciously, so wonderful to spend so much time, a long time, with someone who has had such a, uh, a busy life, literally a busy life. And I really appreciated him being, spending time and sharing his story. So set this up. Here's Dr. Levy, the cardiologist, talking about something very specific to do with this topic, a ticking time bomb. And then I'll come back in just a moment. Yeah, so probably it's probably more the probably the leading thing is is coronary heart disease, but but uh, and coronary heart disease is is can certainly is one of the biggest things that leads to heart failure. The two things that that are the leading things that lead to heart failure are coronary artery disease due to blockages in arteries and causing a heart attack, and that weakens the heart and leads to heart attack, and also hypertension. Uh, leads to, to to heart damage and 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 so it leads to heart failure, but but the probably the leading thing that we have and the leading cause of death in our society is coronary artery disease. It's atherosclerosis, which is which is cholesterol plaque filling up the uh, the heart arteries, and this leads to weakening of the heart muscle. It it, it puts the patient at risk of of heart attack and sudden cardiac death. And so that's the leading thing that I end up seeing people who've already developed coronary heart disease, like they've come in the emergency room with a heart attack and they got a stent or bypass surgery, or they found that they're having angina, you know, which is chest pain coming from a blocked uh, heart artery. These are the leading things that, that, that we end up seeing. Right. And so going back to what you said about, and about endothelial tissue and another medical terms. So here am I as a lay health teacher, if you like, a professional, but certainly not a medical professional. And I'm trying to bridge the gap between here's what the medical terminology is and here's what it means for a person that I might be teaching. So I'll use an example. High blood pressure, it seems, is one of the things that drives atherosclerosis. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. The, 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 leading, the leading things are obesity, bad lipids, Bad sugars, inflammation, smoking, and hypertension yeah. are all things that damage the, the 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 artery and then lead to atherosclerosis or, or hardening of the arteries. And so, going back to is this this is my understanding, and I really want to ask this question. It's a bit of a I'm converting the medical stuff 
into something that's easy for people to understand. Is this process sound correct to you where every time you do physical activity, there's some release of nitric oxide into the endothelial tissue that causes it a short half-life, causes it to be more flexible. And by raising your CRF score, you raise the um, flexibility and that improves something called pulse wave velocity, makes it better. Is that a, a, is that an accurate description? Yes, I mean it. It, it, it certainly is, and 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 um, and it, the thing is, is that there are so many things that physical activity does, and yeah. and and still, many of the things that physical activity d- does does work through the endothelium, which is which is the the lining of the blood vessels, and so yeah. a healthy endothelium is one that typically doesn't develop atherosclerosis to begin with or, get, or develops less atherosclerosis. Yeah. Um, and so a healthy endothelium is, 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 is extremely good. Um, and, 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 and a lot of times very early in life, unfortunately, the endothelium gets damaged, you know, because atherosclerosis we know actually starts forming in kids. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah, the, the kids that are in the, in the, in the teenagers, Already have the beginnings of atherosclerosis, and 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 some of our investigators in New Orleans. I went to LSU Medical School yeah. uh, in, in 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 New Orleans, and uh, and some of the early investigators in something called the Bugaloosa Heart Study, they yeah. did autopsies on the kids, you know, that died. Generally, they died from car wrecks and things like that, and they found evidence of atherosclerosis in their arteries. Sometimes when they were eight years old, ten years old, twelve years old, they already had the beginnings of of atherosclerosis. Now it wasn't bad. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't advanced, but, yeah. but it already had started very young in life and it correlated with the, with the, with the risk factors like, you know, cardiometabolic diseases, bad lipids, you know, most, wow. very so few kids were smoking, but diabetes and sugars and cholesterol and, 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 uh, and weight, 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 weight can have adverse effects on the cardiometabolic, uh, factors and certainly low physical activity yeah and um and and i think what's happening is these studies were done decades ago and physical activity was way higher decades ago than it is now yes you know the physical activity has markedly declined over the last five decades with the industrialization and and what's scary is it's really declined in kids that many yeah. of the kids are not nearly as physically active because they're 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 watching the television, they're on their computer, they're on their smartphone, they're playing video games, and yeah. they're not out playing or physical activity on the streets uh, the way kids were doing many decades earlier. All right, let's transition out of that section of the speech with Dr. Levy, the cardiologist from New Orleans, and this incredible. Like, I just cannot reiterate enough. The expertise that someone like he he has and the thankfulness that I have that he's willing to share with our audience, which is now in 87 countries around the world, to share with our audience this vast reservoir of knowledge packaged up into that one interview that I did with him. Now, that section that you listened to there, and in particular, this last part, I said I'm going to hone in on one component of that section of his interview with me because it relates to Philip, it relates to this former minister for um, for the digital economy from the Victorian government, and he's also been involved at the federal government level, at level 
as a deputy chief of staff. And at 45 years of age, he finds out he has this ticking time bomb. Before we get to it, I'm going to travel in almost a, a minute or two straight into the interview with Philip. And we're going to run it out for the 40 minutes or so. But before we do that, because it's such a great interview, once again, another person who's given up their time to help teach us, to help give us some real world, real time understanding of what happens inside the human body to their bodies. So one at the front end of this lesson, you've got the cardiologist sharing with his research and knowledge, and at the middle end of it, you've got this person who's in their mid-40s that almost had their life stolen from them prematurely. Philip's got children, he's got a wife, he's married, he's got a career ahead of him outside of politics now. But it was almost taken away like it was with my father. Think about this. My father passed away at 46 years of age in 1989. The pathology of the disease, the progress of the disease in his body was identical to what happened with Philip. Philip, however, got treatment. But here's what I'm all about. How do we get ourselves in a position where we outsmart obesity, we outsmart heart disease, the number one cause of sickness, disease, and death, and we outsmart cancer events. How do we get ourselves in that position? How do we teach others to do that? All right. The part that Dr. Levy talked about, the cardiologist, atherosclerosis, It's a. this is what it is, if you've never heard of it. It's a thickening or hardening of the arteries caused by a buildup of plaque, just like the plaque in your teeth, in the inner lining of the artery called the endothelial tissue. Risk factors may include high cholesterol, high triglyceride levels, high blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, obesity, physical inactivity, and eating a lot of saturated fats. When my father died, he had this unquestionably, atherosclerosis, but no one ever taught him about this word, the pathology of the disease, the progress or the growth of the disease, or he never even knew it existed. And as you're about to hear from Philip in just a moment, so that's my father back in 1989, someone else in 2022, the year this interview is recorded, has got the same pathology. And also, this is why I create this series. In 2022, prior to his diagnosis of a ticking time bomb, he didn't know about the pathology of the disease. He'd never been taught that. His story will teach you the pathology. It's way better than just having a cardiologist by themselves. So let's do this. I am so excited about sharing with you the Honorable Philip Daladakis, a former senior politician and minister in the Victorian Parliament here in Australia and a former Deputy Chief of a Minister for Broadband at the federal government level. He's got great experience at the highest levels in Australia of running government. But that's not his topic today. His topic today is called the ticking time bomb. And his, I want to thank him publicly here in this lesson for sharing his medical information, first of all, in the media, where I heard about his story in a newspaper article, and now with us at the New Science of Physical Health. 
And so I am so thankful because without people like him in his position in life willing to do this, in 20 years' time, someone who's a young person now in their early 20s, they could be ending up in the same position. In fact, I'll tell you there'll be millions who will. That's why I want his story to be told and shared around the world with our audience. Here we go. Let's transition now to the special guest here in this episode, The Ticking Time Bomb. But I'm so fascinated to read your story because, um, as I said to you, I think in one of my emails, I have interviewed a few politicians up here. Um, but your, tell my listening audience, because we go out to 87 countries at the moment, what you were last, a couple of years ago, you left uh, being a minister in the Victorian government. What area did you work in? Yes, so when I was a minister, I had uh, three portfolios. I was the Minister for Trade and Investment, uh, Innovation and the Digital Economy, and the Minister for Small Business. Digital Economy as well. That's kind of one of my pet areas, digital technology. I've interviewed a guy who he has a $1 billion company in London called um, Rockley Photonics, and he's the founder and chairman, and he's inventing all of the smart technology that's going into the new Apple Watches over the next five years. Oh, wow. And they're, they're, his name's Dr. Andrew Rickman. Essentially what they do with this technology I had never heard of, and I'm a real tech head, um, yeah. called silicon photonics, and he's got a PhD in that area, silicon photonics. They shrink bench-top-sized bench top medical devices into yeah. a sensor that will fit in a watch. So about 18 months ago I got very excited because – uh, Apple was rumoured to include in its next uh, watch iteration yeah. the ability to check your blood sugar levels. And yeah. as a type 2 diabetic, the ability to have that in the watch for me would have been a bit of a game changer, so yeah. not needing to prick your finger to get the blood reading. Now, yeah. obviously, you would still do that depending upon what level you were getting but because, you know, the watch at that point really is just the best case uh, uh, scenario rather than the only one. But nevertheless, the last two iterations of the watches have not had that feature. So I'm yeah. eagerly awaiting that feature. Well, I can give you a heads up. I will send you, I made a, um, out of Dr. Rickman. Yeah. He is really the world leader. And in fact, so this company, Rockley Photonics, they're worth a billion dollars in terms of revenue. Their biggest customer purported in the media right now is Apple. So, and Apple have not released any of their tech yet into the smartwatch. And I've kind of got a couple of contacts in, well, Dr. Rickman and another one of their senior business leaders, Greg, who I um, did some uh, work with and communication with in London as well. They've got offices in San Francisco, as you'd expect, and a few other places in Europe. But um, it's coming. And I've created a five-part mini-series that I call the Thomas Edison of health technology in the 2020s. This guy is going to rep... He's going to do to smartwatches and our health what Edison did with light by separating them. It's unbelievable, this tech. You can't now, wait to hear it. Now, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously uh, I appreciate it goes to 87 countries. So to my family and friends in Greece, uh, Yasso, oh, to yeah. uh, my friends and my friends and, uh, and, and uh, acquaintances in Thailand, Sawadee Krap, uh, and uh, I start to... Uh, or to my friends in China, Ni Hao. So uh, I've covered off three of your countries, but for, for everybody else, now, am I to refer to you as Shane or Stubbsy? 
Stubbsy is going to do it just fine because that, <laughs> you've nailed it in one. That's what I got called my entire school life. And my son, who's just ventured into high school for the first year, I think his phys ed teacher is calling him Stubbsy as well. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Paul. Um, yeah, Stubbsy, uh, I'm, I'm all yours. No, thanks, mate. Look, I'm, so you have these three ministerial roles, and from what I know about politicians, it's particularly at a senior level, an executive level of government, it's like woe to go every day, seven days a week. Is that Would you describe it as an intense environment where you're just, it's really work all the time? Yeah, so uh, without without putting any mayo on it, the first six months that I became a minister, I was probably working 100-hour weeks. Wow. Uh, That's the transition, Bell. I'm at about the 20-minute mark. I want to break this long, lengthy interview up. It's so fantastic. But if you want to have a break right now, you can do that. You can go straight to the next part of the interview. 100 hours a week of work. I can't wait for you to hear the rest of his description, Philip's description, about what that entailed and about the impact it had on his health. And no wonder that he was developing at the time that he's working 100 hours a week was when the pathology of his ticking time bomb was happening. On to part two of this lesson in just a moment. 